You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Esther in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to read this morning from Esther chapter 4, um, and we're going to, I want you to hang there because we're going to be going through the book of Esther. Now, I'm not going to read the whole book of Esther to you, but um, we're going to spend, uh, I want to try to my best to cover the entirety of the book of Esther and the story there to see the truths God has for us today. Now, if you're sitting there and you start thumbing through and see that there's quite a few chapters in there, I'm not here to keep you all day, okay? My goal is to finish preaching before you finish listening, Okay. That's my goal today, all right? So Esther chapter four, starting in verse 12 through 14, it says, so Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. And Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. I want us to talk this morning just simply about what does it mean for such a time as this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the moment that we have today. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be in this place. Thank you for the, the, the gift that you are in giving us the church, that we can sing together songs of celebration, songs of faith, that we can pray together prayers of faith and believing together, that we can pray together in the altars, pray together as in, in pastoral prayer, that also that we can listen to your word together and that we, at the end of this service, get to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in remembrance of the gift that he has given us in his sacrifice. So today I ask that you anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth and anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you. I can think of some really, really tough times in my life. I can think of some really difficult situations that I've faced. But I've never faced what Mordecai and Esther faced. I've never faced what they face at this moment. I've never faced what the Jewish people are facing at this moment because during this time that this book is written, during this time that it is recorded, these are moments where the entirety of the land of Israel has been captured by a foreign power. Assyria has captured the northern parts of it, and now Babylon has captured the southern parts of it. And in the same time, they have taken many of the people that belong there back to Babylon. They have inscripted them. They have forced them. They are prisoners in a foreign land. They don't want to be there. They didn't ask to be there. They didn't choose to be there, and yet they're there anyway. The problem is, is while they are there, circumstances arise that put them in greater peril than they already were. What do you do When you find yourself in a circumstance that is so much greater than you that you don't have the answer for and that you don't have the ability to get yourself out of and your total reliance is on God. I want you to see very quickly this morning just a few things from the book of Esther. When you are in a circumstance 
that seems so overwhelming, that seems so great, that seems so difficult, the first thing to remember is this. You are positioned for a kingdom purpose wherever you are, even when you don't feel like it. Now, for some of you, you may say, dude, you don't have a clue where I am. Wherever this position is, this is not a kingdom purpose. Can I just tell you, God knows how to take you from the position that you're in and even may have strategized and is moving you into a position in order to accomplish his kingdom purpose in your life and for his glory, and you can't see it right now. In the book of Esther, starting in chapter 2, we find a scripture and a passage that describes a circumstance that neither Esther or Mordecai asked for. So to set the stage, there is a king, King Xerxes, there is a queen, Vashti, and Xerxes, for several reasons, decides that Vashti is not worthy to be the queen anymore, and so he deposes her. And so he sends out a royal decree that, all of that, that, that people from the palace are to go into all the provinces, and they are to literally gather up, literally take by force young women, virgins, to come to the palace so the king can choose from them which one of them is going to be his next queen. Understand this. This, this is not a contest that they signed up for. This, this, this is not Miss America or Miss USA. They've literally been taken from their homes in order to be forced to be in a contest that they didn't ask for and also possibly to be a queen in a palace they don't want to be in. And here's where we find ourselves in chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says, At that time there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiakim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and her mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly, and he quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. And before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. And to celebrate the occasion, he gave, her a great, gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all of his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Both Mordecai and Esther are in a place they don't want to be. She didn't sign up for this contest. She didn't sign up to be queen. She didn't sign up to be brought into the king's harem. She didn't sign up to be forever listed in the king's palace with no freedom of her own. Mordecai, who adopted her as his own daughter, is watching this take place. 
And the Bible says he is so concerned about it that every day he walks by the courtyard of the king's palace in order to find out how she's actually doing. He's worried sick about her. They're exiled from their homeland, prisoners in a land far away, and they have no choice in what is going on right now. Esther is forced to be in the king's palace. Everything about this seems wrong, and nothing seems normal. Everything that they hoped and dreamed for is not happening. The promises of their ancestors to live their lives in the promised land seem to be eroding. They don't know this at the time, but this is a a decision the Lord has made to move his people there for 70 years in order to make them righteous before they come back to Israel. But they don't know this. They don't know how long it's going to last. They just know the future is bleak for them. But many of you know what that feels like. Many of you know when nothing seems right, when everything seems unfair, some of you are facing a sickness. Nothing feels normal. Nothing seems right. Some of you are in financial distress. Nothing seems normal. Nothing seems right. Some of you are in a dead-end job or you've got a boss that is just absolutely either just driving you crazy or literally driving you down and nothing seems right and nothing seems normal. Some of you are facing difficult decisions that weigh you down or keep you up at night and nothing seems right and nothing seems normal. And when you face these type of circumstances, you find yourself asking God, how long, God? Where are you? When are you going to move in my circumstance to change the very thing that is bringing me so much heartache? And then the Bible says that Esther finds favor with Haggai, who is in charge of all the king's harem. He shows special treatments to her. He gives her the special, the best maids. He puts her in the best place. He treats her well. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but I wonder, does Esther recognize this in the moment? Does she see in the moment that even in the midst of her difficult circumstances, there is a special, small dose of grace that is allowing her to see her through to the moment? She's not delivered in the moment yet, but there's a small amount of grace that is given to her. Does she recognize the favor and the grace that's given to her in that moment that doesn't bring her out, but is setting up to bring her through for a little while? It makes me wonder, do we recognize those things in our lives? When you're in the midst of some difficult circumstance that you see no way out of, do you see the small moments of the miraculous where God is showing you he's still in charge, he's still in control? I can remember many, many years ago, kids were small. We we were in financial hardship for sure, Um, maybe even distress. We had about three or four different medical situations that were going on and the medical bills were piling up and at the time we didn't have very good insurance and it just felt like it was just overwhelming us. It was to such an extent that I'm, I'm the type of person, literally, I'm the type of person, I never get down, never get depressed, but man, was I this time. I mean, weighing myself down, hardly finding myself sleeping at night. And I'm praying, God, will you bring us out? Will you somehow bring us out? And it took a while to come out of that. But there were moments as I see them now 
I don't know that I saw them then, but I see them now. Where God would just show up in a moment where I was thinking, I was thinking, I don't know what we're going to do for the rest of this month. I'm not sure. And of all things, I remember one month in particular. I got a letter, and the letter opened it up. It's from the IRS. Anybody ever groan when you get a letter from the IRS? And it's just way down deep. There's just a, just a turning in your stomach. I got a letter from the IRS, and I just opened it up and said, what are we adding to it now? And it said, we went through your return, and we found an error in it. And I went, oh. And then I kept reading. And it said, the error was you overpaid. And I read, kept reading, I kept reading, and I opened in the back of it, and there was a check, $432. When God can use the IRS, he can use anything. <laughs> Listen, there were, there were moments in time, too, where it was beyond belief, where I'm, you're, looking at, you're looking at bills, and then one of the utility bills came in and said, we misfigured your bill three months ago. And you've been overpaying for the last three months. And you don't owe anything this month. And hundreds of dollars are suddenly there. They didn't bring me out. They didn't bring us out. But they certainly were small amounts, doses of grace to show us that God was looking out for us every moment of every day. You see, so many times you get in such a position that you cannot see the grace of God, even the small doses. You forget that he is divinely placing you where he wants you in order to do a purpose in you that you cannot even conceive of at that moment in time. After a year of preparation, Esther, by God's grace, Esther is chosen to be queen and put in a position she never thought she would be able to be in. God picks Esther out of obscurity and places her into a place of destiny. And some of you are right now, you're in a place where you can't see that. You say, I realize what he did for her, but man, I can't see it for me. You feel so far removed. You feel like you have lost sight of God and God has lost sight of you. Can I just tell you something? Nothing can be further from the truth. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Do you know what the psalmist is reminding us of? That there is nowhere you can go. There is no circumstance you can face. There is no difficulty that you will encounter. That God's grace is not with you. That his arm cannot reach you. That his power is not sufficient. That his Holy Spirit is not with you every single moment. And if you believe that, give God praise in this place. God has positioned you for a kingdom purpose. Even if you can't see it right now, he's positioning for his purpose. The second thing I want you to see is this, is you will need bold prayers and bold faith. Bold prayers and bold faith. Because quite frankly, 
all of this happens, you think, what a wonderful story. That's chapter two. Things go from bad to worse. Yes, Esther is elevated to the position of queen, but there is a man in the king's court, his name is Haman, who hates her adopted father, hates Mordecai, and because Mordecai is Jewish, he hates the Jewish people. And so he comes up with a plan, and he goes to the king with Esther unaware, and also the king is unaware that Esther is a Jew because she has been told, keep your nationality secret by Mordecai. So Haman goes and says, there is a people, a group of people, a nationality that refuse to obey the king's edicts and his decrees. And the king should not put up with this. So let the king issue an order that all of them should be eliminated. We're we're talking about genocide. We're talking about wiping out a whole race of people in this place. And the king says, because he trusts him so much, do it. Here's my ring, my signet ring. Sign it. You write the order. You do it. Here's my ring. It's authorized. And it's authorized under the law of the Medes and the Persians, which means it cannot be revoked. Not even the king can come back and say, I revoke this. An irrevocable act that allows them to go and annihilate the Jews on a set date, March the 7th. Mordecai finds out. He is broken. He is outside the courtyards. He is in sackcloth and ashes, which is a symbol of mourning, along with the other Jewish people. The people in the palace see this, recognize him, go tell Esther about it. And he begins this process of asking Esther to do something with the king. Here's where we pick it up in Esther chapter 4, verses 10 through 17. Then Esther told Hathak, to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out the gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him in 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai and Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And, even, and then, even though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. And so Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So Mordecai challenges her. Don't think that you're safe because you're in the palace. This is bigger than you. And he says, don't you think that maybe, just maybe, God put you here for this very moment? The ability to see that God's providential hand is on you in the worst of times is a gift of God. And so Esther asked him, fast and pray three days. And after you fast and pray, 
I'm going to go in to the king. Here's the thing. At this moment in time, she's not praying for wisdom. She's praying for strength and she's praying for courage because she's made up her mind, I will do something about this. And so they fast and they pray. And after the three days, she literally goes into the inner court. I wonder what she's thinking as she makes her way. With every step, is she wondering, is this the last time I will enter into the court? Is this the last time I'll be able to see the king? Is this the last steps that I make with my life? And as she enters into the presence of the king, the king sees her and the Bible says his countenance is happy and he extends the gold scepter to her. And all of the faith and the prayers and the boldness begin to come to fruition. Can I just tell you something? Every step of faith is a step into the unknown. But when you step into the unknown, you step with the one who knows all. You are not walking alone. The Spirit is with you. The Lord is with you. And though you may not know, and you may be in the unknown, God knows every step of the way. So the Bible says that he asked her, what can I do for you? He's so pleased to see her. And so she comes up with a plan, a plan that will expose Haman for who he is, and a plan that will save the Jewish people. And as a matter of fact, at the end of this plan, it's a series of dinners and lunches where she exposes this. The king is so infuriated with Haman that he literally calls his men in to take Haman out. And he looks out the windows and he sees the gallows, a hangman's gallows. And he asks on the gallows, who are those built for? And they said, Mordecai. Haman wanted to put Mordecai on there on that March 7th date. And he said, put Haman on there instead. And as he puts him on there, he asks Esther, what can be done? And she said, something has to be done. He said, the law is irrevocable. I can't change it. And Esther says, then have the king pass another decree, a decree that says the Jewish people have the right to defend themselves. And so he passes that decree, and they pass it down the line to everyone in all the provinces. And on that day, as it arrives, as the people are trying to eliminate the Jews, the Jews are preparing to defend themselves. Third thing I need you to see is that God will deliver and vindicate his people. God will deliver and vindicate his people. Esther chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, So on March the 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them, but no one could make a stand against them for everyone was afraid of them. So they rise up to defend themselves and God makes their enemies afraid of them. An enemy that was overpowering is now defeated. God delivers his people. God somehow, some way knows how to deliver his people out of trouble. And he also knows how to vindicate them. The man's name who was drugged through the mud and falsely accused more than anybody else was Mordecai. And the Bible tells us 
in Esther chapter 10 that Mordecai and his name are vindicated by the Lord himself. Verse 1 says this, King Xerxes imposed a tribute throughout his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His great achievements and the full of account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister. That's what Haman was. Mordecai takes his place. With authority next to that of King Xerxes himself, he was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. One of the most interesting things in the book of Esther is that the name of God does not appear one time. Not once. But it is presumed by God's people, by those who wrote the scriptures, that God is at work in every single moment, that he is working, orchestrating events, positioning people, giving wisdom, giving victory. As a matter of fact, it's so interesting. When we looked way back in verse 14, when Mordecai is challenging Esther, I love that he says this. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews is going to come, but it'll just come from some other place. He said, God's positioning you for this. He is calling you to this. But if you don't, don't worry. God's always going to deliver his people and vindicate them. It's a truth in scripture that is found over and over again. And the question is this, what if we actually presume that God is actively at work in our lives every single day, working in and through us through every difficult circumstance and bringing about his divine plan to fruition in our lives? And sometimes, though, it's just so hard to see it. It was a few years ago. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor. A few years ago, if you wonder why I didn't have this at the start, you would think I was timing my message and I wasn't going to do that. You would be like, dude, turn it over, you know? A few years ago, I was going through trying to make some decisions and some difficult stuff going on. And I was speaking... I was speaking somewhere and someone came up to me after the service was over with and they said, um, they said, I hope you don't think I'm weird, but I think I have a word from the Lord for you. And I, I said, no, I don't think you're weird. I'm always weirded out by the people who never have doubts about whether it's from God or not, you know? I said, no, tell me. They know nothing about my circumstances. What they said was, while you were speaking, I had this kind of a vision. I saw you and I saw what looked like a computer screen with an hourglass just spinning, but nothing was happening. And, and if you're a Mac user, that's a Windows-based product, just so you know, and there's a little spinning. I said, nothing was happening. And you were frustrated and you were wondering, where's God? And man, I tried to keep it together, you know? But if that didn't perfectly describe me at that moment, wondering, where are you? 
where are you right now? I mean, time keeps on ticking and it's spinning. And I don't see anything happening, though. I'm praying. And they said, I believe God wants me to tell you that though you can't see him and though you think things are just spinning, the reason that it's spinning is because he's in the background working things out. And when the time is right, he's going to open the doors that need to be opened. And he's going to give you the answer that you've been seeking. Several months later, about the time where the answers were getting, beginning to come, I received this from that person that said, I want you to always remember, never forget, God cared enough about you to give you a word to encourage you and remind you that he's always working on your behalf. This sits in my office. And it's a truth that if you can get a hold of, can literally change your life. God is always working, even when you can't see him. Jesus even said that. He said, my father is always at work. Always. There's going to be a moment where God's going to bring you out. And when that moment comes, don't forget to celebrate. And don't forget to remember that God's faithfulness is everlasting. And his mercies are new every single morning. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes in this place? The greatest grace and mercy he's ever shown us is the offer of a relationship with him through salvation through Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room and you know things aren't right between you and the Lord, I just want you to pray something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the hope that is given through your sacrifice. Thank you for your blood and your body that we're going to remember in a few minutes that were given for me. Thank you. Thank you that forgiveness was provided on the cross, and I ask you to forgive me of the way I've lived and my sins. And Lord, I also ask you to accept me as I yield to your lordship in my life, to do what your word says and what your spirit says. And as I do that, I believe that I will never be the same. Now, with your head still bowed, eyes still closed, no one but the ministry team and I looking around. If that's you, I'm not here to call you out, not here to embarrass you, but if that's you, you know things weren't right between you and the Lord when you came in this place. You say, I'm making a decision to follow him. Pray for me this week. Would you just raise your hand really high while no one's looking around and keep it up just for a moment, please? I want to pray for you this week. I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Keep it up just a moment more. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you can put them down. Well, your head's still bowed, though. If you're here and you say, Pastor... I'm facing one of those circumstances where it feels like I don't see a way out. I need to know today that the Lord is working in the background 
and is going to bring me out and bring purpose in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand in this room? Oh, man, you're not alone. Not alone at all. All right, you can put them down. Lord, now in Jesus' name, I pray. I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide each and every heart that's made a decision for you today. I pray, Lord, that those that have yielded their hearts to you, Lord, would find meaning and purpose in a way like they never have before. I pray for those that are going through those circumstances. They don't see a way out. God, remind them that you are there with them, working in the background, and your promises are true. And Lord, we lean on those things, trust in those things, hope in those things today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You should have received some elements when you came in. We're going to partake of Holy Communion. If you did not, if you go ahead and take those elements, please. If you did not receive those, will you please raise your hand? Let us, one of our worship center hosts get those to you. Thank you. Just keep them up. Somebody will get those to you. As you prepare, um, the, there's a clear seal on the top that will, uh, if you undo that, you can take the wafer out, and then there's another seal under that where you can then um, uh, expose the juice. Um, great time to serve, too. If you see your neighbors struggling to get either of those out, you could help them. Um, for some of our worship center hosts, um, if our worship center hosts, uh, we've got some right over here. Right over here, thank you. Just keep your hands up if you need some elements. We'll be glad to wait on you. We want everyone to be served. In communion, we remember what Jesus did in his sacrifice through his broken body and his spilled blood that he took the punishment on himself. Isaiah 53 says it like this. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. That the punishment that we might be at peace with God was placed upon him, and by his stripes we're healed, made whole. Paul reminds us when we take it and instructs us on Holy Communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. He says, on the same night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Would you remember the body of Christ? And in the same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. Would you remember the blood of Christ? For as often as you eat the bread, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you so much for the sacrifice that was made for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you so much for hearts that have been changed. Thank you so much for a promise that you have made us, a reassurance that you have given us that you are working things out for our good and your glory. God, we thank you today that even though we can't see it, that we are positioned for a kingdom purpose. And Lord, we are praying bold prayers, having bold faith, believing you will bring us out. And God, at the same time, we believe that you will deliver and vindicate your people for your good 
your glory. And God, we thank you for that. Some of us right now are simply going to have to thank you by faith, but we thank you by faith in Jesus' name for the deliverance that is going to come. Amen and amen. Hey, can you celebrate with me today? Six people gave their hearts to Jesus. Amen. Is that not worth celebrating? Listen, if you made that decision today or in the last few weeks, we would love to talk with you. Um, Some of our um, grow team will be right down front here, right after service or at the um, uh, next step station right outside in the atrium. Love to, you give us two minutes of your time. We'd love to help you out on this walk with the Lord that you are beginning today. We are proud of you. We are happy and we rejoice to you. And more than happy, more than that, the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. Heaven rejoices because of your decision today. You made the best decision you will ever make. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. And before you go, I wanna bless you according to Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountperrinnorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.